there, and welcome back to The Boy Who Harnessed the Wind by William Kamkwamba and Brian Miller. We're going to continue reading chapter three, which is titled Discovering a Thing Called Science. Many of you have probably been saying, but doesn't everyone have electricity? It's true that most people in Europe and America are lucky to have lights whenever they want them plus things like air conditioning and microwave ovens. But in Africa, we're not so lucky. In fact, only about 8% of Malawians have electricity in their homes, and most of them live in the city. Not having electricity meant that I couldn't do anything at night. I couldn't read or finish my radio repairs. I couldn't do my homework or study for school. No watching television. It also meant that when I walked outside to the toilet, I couldn't see the big spiders or roaches that like to play in the latrine at night. I only felt them crunch under my bare feet. Whenever the sun went down, most people stopped what they were doing, brushed their teeth, and went straight to bed. Not at 10 p.m. or even 9 o'clock, but 7 in the evening. Who goes to bed at 7 in the evening? Well, most of Africa. The only lights we had were lanterns and not the fancy kind that are powered by batteries. Our lanterns were made from empty powdered milk cans, which we bent, closed at the top, and filled with kerosene. Our wick was a piece of an old t-shirt, which we ripped into strips and soaked in fuel. Kerosene looks a lot like gasoline and smells just as bad. Worse, it produced thick black smoke that irritated our eyes and throats and made us cough. And because most people's roofs were made from straw, the lanterns were a real fire hazard. Growing up, I heard many stories of people's homes burning down because someone knocked over a lantern. Electricity does exist in Malawi, but it's very expensive and hard to get at your house. Getting on the grid involves squeezing in the back of a pickup taxi and riding several hours to Lilongwe, the capital city. There you would catch another bus to the offices of Electricity Supply Corporation of Malawi, ESCOM, and wait hours in the stuffy lobby until the sour-faced agent called your name. What do you want? They might ask. I would like electricity, you tell them. Hmm, we'll see what we can do. After you fill out an application and paid a lot of money, they would ask you to draw them a map of your village and house. That's me, you say. I live here. And if your application got approved, and if the workers were able to find your home, then you'd have to pay more money for them to install a pole and wires. Once you had electricity, you'd be very happy. You'd plug in your radio and dance to the music. That is, until ESCOM cut the power, which they did every week, usually at night. After all of that money and trouble, you'd still find yourself going to bed at seven. Why does ESCOM turn off the power? Part of the reason is deforestation which is a real problem in Malawi and other parts of the world. 
thanks to the tobacco and maize estates, most of the lush green forests that once covered the country back in Grandpa's youth are gone. The rest is being cut down and used as firewood. You see, since we don't have electricity, most Malawians, including my family, rely on fires for everything from cooking to heating bath water. The problem is that now the firewood is running low. It is so bad that sometimes my sisters have to walk several miles just to find a handful of wood to cook our breakfast. And if you've ever built a campfire, you know that a handful of wood doesn't last very long. Without trees and forests covering the land, simple storms can turn into flash floods. Whenever it rains heavily, the water rushes through our farms and carries away the important soil and minerals that help our plants to grow. The soil, plus a lot of plastic bags and other garbage, washes into the Shire River, where ESCOM produces all of Malawi's electricity from turbines. The turbines get clogged with mud and garbage and have to be turned off and cleaned, which causes power cuts across the country. And every time ESCOM issues power cuts, they also lose money. This means they must raise prices to get their money back, making the cost of electricity higher and higher. So with no crops because of floods and no electricity because of clogged rivers and high prices, people continue to cut down trees for firewood. It's like that. One of the ESCOM power lines was connected to Gilbert's house, probably because his dad was the chief. The first time I went there as a boy, I couldn't believe what I saw. Gilbert walked into the living room, touched the wall, and a light came on, just by touching the wall. Of course, now I know that he really flipped a light switch. But after that day, I started thinking, why can't I touch a wall and get light? Why am I always the one stuck in the dark searching for a match? I knew that bringing electricity to my village was going to take more than just a bicycle dynamo or any wizard's best magic. And anyway, my family couldn't afford to buy either of those things, but I did have one bit of hope. I would soon be taking my final exams to leave primary school. If I passed and advanced to secondary school, what kids in America call middle school, I knew I'd be studying more science. Several schools had special science programs where students got to work on all kinds of experiments. If I could get into one of those places, perhaps my dream of becoming a scientist would come true. <clears throat> Excuse me. My current school, Wimby Primary, certainly didn't seem like a pit place where scientists came come from. It was located down the wooded trail from Gilbert's house, just opposite the mosque. It was a community school supported by the government, and the conditions were quite shabby. The iron sheets on the roof were full of holes, and when it rained, the water poured down on us. The rooms were too small for large, the large number of students, and some classes were held outside under trees. With all the trucks going past, plus the birds, insects, and people walking around, it was impossible to concentrate. 
The administrators didn't provide us with lesson books of our own. The teachers always ran out of chalk, and most students never owned a pencil. Ask any child in Malawi to spell their name or give the sum of two times two, and they'll probably scribble the answer in the dirt with their finger. Another problem at Wimby were the toilets. Just a few grass huts with a deep hole covered with logs. It didn't take long for the termites to make their nests inside those logs and eat them hollow. One afternoon, they finally collapsed with my classmate Angela squatting atop them. Several hours passed before someone heard her crying from the slimy bottom and helped her out. She was so traumatized that we never saw her again. In order to graduate from Wimby Primary and advance to secondary school, I had to pass a test, and it was a hard test. The Standard 8 exam covered every subject and lasted for three whole days. For several months, I stayed awake past dark and studied beside the smoky lamp. I spent hours reading over my lessons in Chichawa, English, Math, Social Studies, and Agriculture, a subject that we all had to take because we were farmers. For the most part, my Chichawa lessons were easy, so I spent most of my time working on English, which I found very difficult. For agriculture, they wanted us to know things like how to tell if your animals were sick with infections, and if so, how to help cure them. Most kids already knew these kinds of things from working with their fathers, but even still, I wanted to make sure my answers were perfect. I took the test in mid-September. For three torturous days, I bit my nails over equilateral triangles and circumferences, and whether amprol or iodine was the right kind of medicine for a chicken with blood in its poop. I was a bundle of nerves by the time I finished, but I felt confident. The only bad part was that the grades wouldn't be announced for another three months, leaving me with a lot of time for worry. Unlike in America, secondary school wasn't free. It cost money to attend. And because of that, most kids in Malawi didn't even bother going. My older sister, Annie, was already halfway finished with her schooling, and I couldn't wait to have my own chance. Another exciting thing about the upper grades was getting a new uniform. Soon, I could ditch the little boy shorts required for younger students and walk tall in trousers. Once my exam was over, I waited for Gilbert to finish. No more short pants for us, I said when he appeared. That's right, and until we start school again, our mornings are free. What shall we do? Let's get Kamba and go hunting, I said. It's been too long. Yeah, for sure. We were halfway home when Kamba met us on the trail, tail wagging, as if he had heard my every word. That afternoon, the three of us hunted for hours until the yellow sun sank behind the highlands. Which are, with our sacks full, we walked home under an orange dusk and made a great fire in the courtyard, cooked our birds, and ate them like men. Thank you.